Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Throwback League to a battle of teams out of the great Midwest. Today, from U.S. Cellular Field, just south of Chicago, it's the 2005 White Sox playing host to the 1985 Cardinals. Whitey Herzog's running Redbirds in as an 11 seed, up against a 3 seed, led by manager Ozzie Guillen. Josh Lewin with you, and now the White Sox, even with the big hurt, actually hurt this season. No Frank Thomas when the White Sox finally made it to a World Series for the first time since the late 50s. And maybe the Sox could have used him for this one. They're up against Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, and the Cardinals, who snuck past the 03 Florida Marlins to be here today in our tournament. By the way, go to the website if you want to see the brackets and if you want to track the box scores and all, thethrowbackleague.com. We'll tee things up in 85, starting with the road team, back when the Cardinals were getting Jack Buck to say that's a winner on KMOX when he wasn't doing the games for NBC. Jack's son, as you may know, went on to become a network announcer himself, did play-by-play for the 05 World Series, watched as his dad was around for the one the Cardinals played in, and maybe should have won in 85. But before we hear from Joe Buck, before we get into all that, let's do a reset on those Cardinals of 85 who had the need for speed. Here is John Miller. So Willie McGee hit 353, and he was a gold glove uh, center fielder, and he was a guy who stole bases. It all came together for Willie that year. That was one of those dream seasons. He never really put it together like that uh, at any other time. He had other good years, but nothing to approach that. And uh, Vince Coleman came along, and you could not throw him out. He was going to steal a base, and that was it. Uh, Maybe you could pick him off, and occasionally maybe you might throw him out. But the fact of the matter was is that uh, Vince Coleman changed the game uh, where teams began uh, trying to come up with motions uh, out of the stretch position where a pitcher might be able to get rid of the ball more quickly. Uh, The slide step was born as an anti-Willie McGee bit of strategy. So uh, uh, that's sort of a legacy there from, uh, from Willie McGee. Thanks, John. Yeah, the Cardinals of 85 stole 314 bases. And to put that in perspective, just two teams in the past dozen years now, the 96 Rockies and the 07 Mets, have gotten to 200, and in each case, just barely. Simply stated, Whitey Herzog demanded everybody take that extra base. You'll never forget those three 
three-digit numbers in a row on your Vince Coleman baseball cards, 110, 107, 109 stolen bases beginning in this rookie year of 85. But unlike the, the Lou Brock Cardinals, where he was often the only player in double figures, if not triple figures in steals, everybody ran on the 85 Cardinals. Willie McGee stole 56, Andy Van Slyke 34, Ozzie Smith and Tommy Hur each had 31. Hur got caught three times all season. Lonnie Smith in part-time duty before he got dealt, stole 12, and so on down the line. Pitcher Joaquin Andujar got on base 15 times during the year. He stole three bases. No pitcher has stolen more in all the years since then. Here's a problem for the cards today up in Chicago. We should mention that on the mound for the White Sox is a lefty with one of the great pickoff moves of his generation. Missouri native Mark Burley will be up against the Cardinals right-hander Danny Cox. More on that pitching matchup in a bit, but let's remind you a little more about the personality of Whitey Herzog's team here, the road team. They're out there wearing gray uniforms, not the powder blues. They're back to their graves this year with the red trim. Todd Worrell, the closer now with Bruce Suter moving on to Atlanta. Worrell actually started the year at AAA Louisville, but he was great for much of the year up in St. Louis. And John mentioned Willie McGee winning the NL MVP at 353, 10 home runs, 82 runs batted in. Vince Coleman, Rookie of the Year, 107 runs scored, those 110 stolen bases. And during the 85 playoffs, the Cardinals used the slogan you're hearing, the heat is on. They had already applied said heat to the Mets to win the East by three games. 101-61, and 61, the final regular season record for St. Louis. The NLCS against the Dodgers featured two game-winning home runs. It was Ozzie Smith in Game 5, Jack Clark in Game 6, both off Tom Needenfewer. Very rare display of power hitting for Ozzie Smith. His walk-off in the bottom of the ninth in Game 5, prompting the famous call of, Go crazy, folks, go crazy, from Jack Buck. And it was a bit of a crazy season. Sport Magazine, remember that? Had predicted the Cardinals dead last in the NL East, coming out of spring training. The new general manager, Dal Maxville, had a nice last laugh. The Mets had gone up by a game in mid-September, but a 1-0 win from John Tudor over Doc Gooden drew St. Louis even again. And down the stretch, they got it done. Some big hits from Jack Clark and Tommy Herr. Herr had a walk-off against the Expos the second-last weekend of the season. Terry Pendleton, a massive last 10 days of the season. And Pendleton, if you'll forgive the departure here, a player of this generation who never got his due. He played in five World Series, and his team's lost all five. So maybe that's a part of it. But the guy was an MVP. And as the writer Will Leach has pointed out, if you win an MVP in the NBA or the NFL, chances are you're going to the Hall of Fame. Now you look at the NBA MVP since the award was instituted in 1956, every single one of them, with uh, the exception of Derrick Rose, has either been inducted into the Hall of Fame or they will be soon after they retire. The NFL has a little bit more variance. I mean, Cam Newton and Rich Gannon will not be Hall of Famers, but on the whole, the MVP award is reserved for the best of the best. Terry Pendleton was an MVP. Derek Jeter never was. David Ortiz never was. Al Kaline never was. Pendleton won it in 91. He finished second in 92. Won a few gold gloves. He had a huge three-run double in game two of the 85 World Series. He was a sort of solid player that Whitey Herzog loved. Just consistent, clutch, not flashy, but productive. It says here he and his double flat batting helmet never got recognized as they should. So we, we pause to do exactly that right now. Anyway, Pendleton, Herr, McGee, John Tudor's pitching. He had 14 complete games and 10 shutouts in 85. All kinds of magic started to happen, and on they went to the NLCS against the Dodgers, winning it in six. 
the World Series, Chris, in the I-70 Series or the Show Me Series because it was all Missouri. It was the Royals and the Cardinals first time the two teams met in a non-exhibition setting. And a lot of controversial things, including Vince Coleman being unable to play because of an injury sustained after being rolled up in the mechanical tarpaulin at Bush Stadium during the NLCS. Cardinals were up 3-2 in the series. Game 6 tipped off the controversies with the call. It was 1-0 Cardinals, bottom 9. Don Denkinger called George Orta safe at first base. Uh, sure didn't look like that, but several batters later, they lost Game 6, 2-1, and then the 11-0 wipeout in Game 7. That was despite both of their aces participating in the game. John Tudor had won his last two starts in the series. He punched a mechanical fan when we moved from that game. Severely cut his pitching hand, had to actually go to a Kansas City hospital while the game was still ongoing. Andujar was pressed in a relief. He was ejected by home plate umpire Don Denkinger for arguing balls and strikes. Elsewhere in 85, as we look around, well, the, the Hall of Fame had a Cardinals tent. They welcomed Lou Brock and Enos Country Slaughter in there. We mentioned Vince Coleman, Rookie of the Year in the National League. American League Rookie of the Year, Ozzie Guillen for the Chicago White Sox. We'll hear from him in just a bit. The home run leaders in 85, no one had more than 40. Daryl Evans, exactly 40 for the Tigers in the AL. Del Murphy, 37 in the NL. Doc Gooden, the insane season for the Mets, 24 wins, 1.53 ERA, led the league in strikeouts. Toronto, 99 wins. The Yankees, 97 wins. The Mets, 98 wins. None of them ended up in the World Series. Give you a couple of random days to remember from that 85 regular season, one of them involving the Mets. The July 4th game down at Fulton County Stadium, 16-13 in 19 innings. Keith Hernandez hit for the cycle, and nobody even remembers that. Davey Johnson ejected. Rick Camp, the career 070 hitter, had the home run in the 18th inning to tie things up at 11. The thing finally ended at 3.15 in the morning. Let me take you to August 4th instead of July 4th. The Yankees had Phil Rizzuto Day. They retired his number 10. Tom Seaver of the White Sox then got his 300th career win over the Yankees. And uh, Rod Carew, then of the Angels, his 3,000th career hit that day. He got a double off Frank Viola. Pop culture, 85. Well, you're enjoying some of the music right now. We spared you Eddie Murphy, who left comedy long enough to get in studio and reveal My Girl Wants to Party All the Time. That's while Aretha Franklin wanted to know who's zooming who. El DeBarge wanted to know who's holding Donna now. There was so much up in the air that summer of 85. Even on TV, we were wondering whether David and Maddie would get together on Moonlighting. They did in season three. David Letterman's first top 10 list appeared in 85. Top 10 words that almost rhyme with peas was the category. Top trends of 85, wearing swatch watches, playing with the Super Mario Brothers, if you were little, Care Bears, Teddy Ruxpin, Pound Puppies. At the movies, we learned about 1.21 gigawatts in Back to the Future. We watched Sylvester Stallone until uh, still punching away in Rocky IV. On TV, Cosby Show, Family Ties were at the top. And if you followed college sports, Oklahoma was number one in football. The big dance captured by Raleigh Massimino's Villanova Wildcats with that near-perfect second half against John Thompson's Georgetown Hoyas. All right, let's move this along. Your lineup for the visitors, the 85 Cardinals. Coleman leads off and left. Tommy Hers at second. Cesar Cedeno given a chance to DH. He'll bat third, bumping Willie McGee down to cleanup in this one. He's in center. Jack Clark at first. Andy Van Slyke's in right. Ozzie Smith the shortstop. And Terry Pendleton at third. Tom Nieto is the catcher, batting at number nine. As for the 05 White Sox, 
Yeah, don't stop believing was the catchphrase, and at the end, everybody did believe, even Steve Perry from Journey. I know this song wasn't released in 85. Matter of fact, it was uh, recorded in 81, the same month in which closer Bobby Jenks was born for the White Sox. But this was the 05 theme song. And yes, on a late October night in Houston, the White Sox delivered a World Series championship to a city just starved for one of those. The Sox are racing an 88-year absence of baseball triumph on the south side. And not a lot of people expected it to happen in 05, not without Frank Thomas, who was out with the injured foot. He tried to come back. He played only 34 games, hit 12 home runs, then re-injured the foot, had to shut it down. But under the managerial stewardship of the off-the-wall, occasionally profane Ozzie Guillen, the don't-stop-believing Sox led the AL Central wire to wire and then overwhelmed everybody in the postseason, winning 11 out of 12. The combustible catcher, A.J. Przinski, said don't stop believing actually started out as a joke. He said uh, we were in Baltimore during the season. A bunch of us in the hotel lobby bar, they had a piano singer. We were yelling at her to play some Journey just as a joke. And the next day, close game, they actually started playing Don't Stop Believing in Baltimore. And Przinski said we ended up scoring five or six runs. We were like, yeah, play some Journey. And it just kind of took off from there. It, it took way off. With a 3 nothing series lead, the Sox feeling confident about finally bringing that championship to Chicago. Jermaine Dye, World Series MVP, drove in the only run of Game 4, a single up the middle that scored Willie Harris in the eighth. One play after Juan Uribe was diving into the stands for a, a second-to-last out. It was a shortstop throwing out Orlando Palmero at first. Bobby Jenks embracing Pruszynski. The 1-0 victory was secured, and the team partied into the morning at the ballpark with Steve Perry. You know, the, the White Sox in 05, they began with a 1-0 win on opening day. They ended with a 1-0 win in the World Series. And, and all year long, they were about doing the little things that would get them 1-0 wins. They won 15 games in which they scored only one or two runs, most by a team since the 69 Miracle Mets. The Sox were 68-35 and 35 in games decided by one or two runs. And they were just on fire coming out of the gate. 57 and 29 in the first half. They had a 15 game lead on August 1st. It was whittled down in mid September to just a game and a half, but they, they pulled away after that scare. They, you know, 15 game lead whittled down to one and a half, but they, they closed with a three game sweep in Cleveland and won 11 of their 12 in the playoffs. One thing about the, the White Sox and all that winning, every series they won to move on and pop champagne, it happened on the road. And Mark Burley saying that was pretty disappointing because in Houston, we went back to the hotel. We were looking to continue partying. Everything was closed down. We were ready to celebrate, but kind of a rude ending because all of Houston was closed. Houston, by the way, 15 and 30 that year to start out. They rallied to get to that World Series. Same year in which the Expos moved to Washington, D.C. Same year Wade Boggs and Ryan Sandberg went into the Hall of Fame. Same year Sammy Sosa became an Oriole. Andrew Jones hit 51 home runs for the Braves, three more than A-Rod hit for the Yankees. Quickly, some pop culture from 05. YouTube was invented. George W. Bush had the best quote that year. He said, I'm the decider. Tom Cruise jumped the couch on Oprah, talking about his love for Katie Holmes. Women were watching Grey's Anatomy behind their supersized sunglasses. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston split up, so did Jessica Simpson and that doucher Nick Lachey. Spamalot and Billy Elliot opened on Broadway. The big movies, besides Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, you had the Chronicles of Narnia, you had Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and best of all, Wedding Crashers. 
What is rule one, by the way? Right, never leave a fellow crasher behind. Let's get you to the White Sox starting lineup. The wire-to-wire -wire winners of the AL West, or excuse me, the AL Central in 05. They are in the white uniforms with the black pinstripes here. The home team, the Chicago White Sox. They've got the hefty lefty Mark Burley on the mound. And in support of him, Scott Putsednik leads it off. He's in left. Tadahito Aguchi at second. Carl Everett DHs. Paul Konerko's at first. Aaron Rowand is the center fielder. Jermaine Dye in right. A.J. Pruszynski the catcher. Joe Creedy's at third. Juan Uribe is the shortstop, batting number nine. Burley, the 26-year-old lefty, made every start this year, as did Freddy Garcia, as did John Garland, as did Jose Contreras, as did El Duque, until they replaced him with Brandon McCarthy, and McCarthy made every one of his starts. Will we ever see that again? No one missing a start an entire big league season. Burley, who worked so quickly, 16-8, and 3.12 ERA, the White Sox pitching all through the playoffs was stunning. You look at the ALCS against the Angels, they had four straight complete games. First run like that in any playoff series for anybody since 1956 when Don Larson threw his World Series perfect game. And that rotation, I mean again, a championship rotation, 38th round draft pick in Burley, a pitcher they traded Matt Karchner to get, a couple of mid-season salary dumps, a mid-level free agent who spent two years, or excuse me, two stints on, on the DL. Uh, these were smart, creative, aggressive moves. And maybe they got a little bit lucky, but it, it certainly did work out. Developing your own pitching is cost-effective. That's true. But sometimes you have to go off the board to do it as well. And whatever they did, it absolutely worked. Paying off in that World Series title. So here we are on the south side. Yeah, the south side, I know. Some people bristle at that. I go back to a song by Paper Lace. You guys remember the night Chicago died? The lyric was, Daddy was a cop on the east side of Chicago. That's not a thing. The east side of Chicago is Lake Michigan. Daddy would have needed scuba gear to be a cop on the east side of Chicago. This is the south side, where na na, hey, hey, kiss him goodbye will ring out when the White Sox win. One last little nugget for you before we dig in and get going. That song, that great song, was recorded by studio musicians as a B-side in 1969. And when it got released as an A-side, they had to get a, a fictitious band quickly assembled here. They had to call it something. So Steam was what they, they put together. So they wouldn't have to put the names of all those studio mu musicians on the single. They just created a band called Steam, and they gave us Na Na Hey Hey, Kiss Him Goodbye. We embrace Vince Coleman. Say hello to him. Had the run-in with the tart machine that caused him to miss the World Series. But here he is now against Burley. A regular season for the 23-year-old rookie. 267 batting average. Just one home run, but 110 steals. He takes low. We are underway. And Vince Coleman initially told he would only be with the team four or five games. Up as an injury replacement early on for Willie McGee. Turns out he'd stay up all the way and be Rookie of the Year. This was just after the opening day loss for the Cardinals on a Gary Carter walk-off in New York. McGee got healthy quickly. Coleman was awesome all season. The Cards dealt Lonnie Smith to Kansas City as a result. As the pitch is poured in for a strike, it's 1-1. One 3.47 one. down the lines here at U.S. Cellular Field. 3.75 to the alleys, 400 to center. Pitch is outside, 2-1 the count to Coleman. And defensively, Pudsednik in left, Rowand in center, Die in right. Up the middle, it's Aguchi at second and Uribe at short. Creedy's at third. 
And Paul Konerko at first as the pitch is in the dirt. And the count three and one now. You don't want to put Vince Coleman on. But then again, Burley just as easily can pick you off. And he is quick to the plate. Here he comes. Swinging his top towards second base. Aguchi on. He plants, he throws, he got him. Had time to actually get his feet set. So one down, and now the Cardinals second baseman, Tommy Hurst. Switch hitter. Well, bat righty here. Only eight home runs, but 110 runs batted in. Yeah, because Coleman was always on base. No batting gloves for her. That sandy blonde hair poking out from under that red batting helmet. He's up there chewing a little bubble gum as he bats, and he takes up too high. Ball one from Burley. Her wearing 28 as opposed to Coleman's 29. This 85 season, his only all-star season, what would be a 13-year major league career. The University of Delaware product ready. Pitch is cut on and skied towards center. Rowan in a step. Now over a little bit towards left. He makes the catch and quickly two away. No score top of the first here is Cesar Cedeno, 34-year-old, brought in this summer from Cincinnati. And what a late season surge he had for St. Louis in the regular season. 434 batting average, 33 for 76. He bonked out six home runs, even stole five bases. And the pitch to him is outside. It's 1-0. Cedeno, the longtime Astro. Houston, the team these White Sox faced, of course, in the 05 World Series. Cedeno, 12 full years as an Astro. He hit 163 home runs for them. Here's a pitch to the right-hand batter. Cranked in the air. It's deep to left center. This ball back. This ball is gone. It's a home run for Cedeno. Just over the painted images of Nellie Fox and Harold Baines on that outfield wall. Second row shot. Pretty much where A.J. Pruszynski homered to open the playoffs for the White Sox against Boston this October. And Cedeno passing a visibly frustrated Przinski right now at a home plate. Now the jog back to the visiting dugout on the first base side. One to nothing Cardinals. Known for their speed, not their pop, but it's a home run that gives them the lead. And Cedeno, you know, we had the, the home run off Jesse Orozco in a mid-September game we referenced earlier, the one to beat the Mets one nothing at Shea. That was a two-game swing with that swing. And remember, the Cardinals only won the division by three games this past summer. So Cedeno's solo home run in that Mets game for John Tudor on the road, that was huge. This one in support of Danny Cox, who will be on the mound in a bit. Here is Willie McGee, switch hitter, takes a strike. 353 hitter this year. 82 runs batted in, 18 triples, 56 steals. The MVP. And here in Chicago, the award of note given out in the sports world. In 85, uh, the Bulls' Michael Jordan, named NBA Rookie of the Year. Pitch to McGee, in for a strike at the knees again, nothing in two. In the National League MVP voting, McGee, 14 of 24 first place votes. Dave Parker got six, Pedro Guerrero got three, Doc Gooden got the other one. He did win the pitching triple crown. McGee batting right-handed, and the pitch from Burley. Swing and a miss, an off-speed pitch. Down goes McGee, and the inning is over. But Cesar Cedeno's home run has the 85 Cardinals on top. Let's keep it in 85 for a moment as we pause for this. Morning game, afternoon win.
arrived, I was spent. Boss says to work some overtime. I say, boss, gotta be at school by nine. Boss is looking nasty and mean, so I reach in my pocket for Cafedrine. Cafedrine, stimulant capsules, maximum strength, time release. Next thing I know, work's all done. I'm heading to school on Highway 1, feeling bright, feeling keen, thanks to the help from Cafedrine. Keeps you sharp, know what I mean? Cafedrine, for occasional use as directed. As for something you can get into right now here in 2020, may we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, the best, most perfectly blended coffee wherever you go. A lot of locations in L.A. You'll start to find them in New York now, too. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world with responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas. The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf truly an experience like no other. Here we go, bottom of the first, 1-0 85 Cardinals. They've got Danny Cox on the mound, 25-year-old righty. Big guy, 6'4". 18-9 record, 2.88 ERA. Not quite the year of the ace lefty John Tudor. Had the 1.93 ERA. But between the veteran righties, Bob Forsh and Joaquin Andujar, you figure Cox slides right in there. Certainly he was better than the often forgotten Kurt Kepshire. Cox wearing number 34 was actually born overseas in England, but he grew up in Alabama, going to college at Troy University. 74 in 75 lifetime, never again had a year like he enjoyed in 85. Eventually a Philly, Pirate, Blue Jay before hanging it up in 95. Only two runs allowed in his two World Series starts in 85. Nothing wrong with that. Although in the 87 World Series, he'll give up 10 runs against the Twins in two starts. He walked eight in just 11 innings. So let's go. Here's Scott Podsednik, 29-year-old lefty digging in. 290 batter with speed at the top of the order, 59 steals. No home runs in the regular season. Then somehow in October, he hit two. One to win a game in extra innings against the Astros. He takes strike one from Cox, the changeup to start him up. You know, the 83 White Sox had a guy a little bit like Podsednik at the top of the order. Rudy Law had 77 steals. Pitch is outside now. It's one and one. That 83 team had great pitching and deserved a better fate. They had a pretty good offense. It disappeared, though, in the best of five playoffs against the Orioles. The crowning blow, the 3-0 inning loss at Old Comiskey on the Tito Landrum home run. Pitch coming. It's outside. And we'll quickly check the defense for you behind Danny Cox, you've got Vince Coleman in left. It's McGee in center. Andy Van Slyke is in right. Jack Clark's at first. Terry Pendleton at third. And up the middle, Ozzie Smith at short. Tommy Hur at second. Now the pitch on the way. Swing and it's hoisted in the air towards right field. And now curling towards center. It'll be McGee moving over. Willie McGee has got it in front of Andy Van Slyke. So one down, and here is Tadahito Aguchi. 278 batter, 15 home runs and 15 steals for the Japanese import. Danny Cox in. It swung on foul down near third base. Coach Joey Cora, nothing in one. Aguchi had a big go-ahead three-run homer against the Red Sox in the playoffs. That helped them take a 2-0 lead against the defending World Series champions. Pitch from Cox, a changeup that's called outside. It's one and one. Now, the White Sox, of course, unseated the Red Sox. They did it with baseball's 13th highest payroll. 
The Yankees must have looked up from their couches in late October, muttering, Jeff Blum, Joe Creedy, Willie Harris? I mean, what they were were a bunch of guys just playing country hardball, winning by a run or two every time it mattered. The Yankees had to stay home and watch that happen. Pitch is in for a strike this time. It's one and two. And I think in the end, the White Sox were a great example of the season being a marathon, not a sprint, because they came blasting out of the blocks in April. They faded, we mentioned, in August and part of September, but they had the big leg kick to win it. The Indians, they did an all-out sprint in the middle of the season, but they had nothing left to win it down the stretch. Kicking the pitch from Cox. Swing and a miss, strike three. Good-looking changeup again from Danny Cox. Two down, and it brings up Carl Everett. Everett a switch hitter, 34 years old now. 251 batter this year with 23 home runs. 87 at batted in. Batting left-handed, he takes high. It's ball one. Everett a streaky hitter. And, you know, this White Sox franchise, which has been around for certainly well over 100 years, they've never had more than a 28-game hitting streak. Carlos Lee did that. It's just halfway to DiMaggio. Pitchers in the dirt this time. It's 2-0. 85 Cardinals leading 1-0. You know, the White Sox have only had one RBI champion ever. Yankees, Red Sox, Tigers, they've all had 18 or 19 apiece. The White Sox have had only Dick Allen in 1973. And as we mentioned, it's not always about the hitting with these guys. You go know, way back to 1906, the White Sox were nicknamed the Hitless Wonders. They had six home runs all year. They won the World Series. And actually, the next year, the 07 White Sox, three home runs all year. But they had the old spitball specialist, Ed Walsh, pitching 464 innings, and he won 40 games. <laughs> Here's the pitch to Everett. Swings, and he rolls one slowly past the mound towards second. Jack Clark off the back, charging, can't make the play. It'll be an infield hit for Carl Everett. So if Keith Hernandez was on the team, maybe he gets to that ball and makes that play. A little squibber up near first and second. But Jack Clark defensively is not Keith Hernandez. So the infield hit, tying man on. Here is Paul Conurco, 283 batter, with a nice round total of 40 home runs and exactly 100 runs batted in. He takes high. It's 1-0. You know, we referenced the 83 White Sox earlier. I think Canerco would have fit in nicely on the 77 team. The Southside Hitmen. Oscar Gamble, Jim Spencer, Brian Downing, Richie Zisk, Chet Lemon. Throw Canerco's bat on that pile, that would have been some lineup. Swinging here, he fouls one right at the plate, 1-1. One one. Well, Canerco started out as a catcher back in the day. Dodgers had him originally, and speaking of the Dodgers, a team the White Sox played in the 59 World Series, it's got me thinking of, of all people, Kirk Gibson with Conurco at the plate, because sometimes playoff heroes end up looking like they've sold their soul to make it happen. Kirk Gibson hit 213 the year after his heroics of 88. Luis Gonzalez hit 29 fewer home runs in 02 than he did when he won the World Series in Arizona in 01. But Conurco next year, 313 batting average, 113 runs batted in. As the pitch is cut on and fouled down the third baseline, one ball, two strikes. Now we go back to that 59 World Series for just a moment. The White Sox won game one, 11-0 on the road. And then it did not happen from there. I bring that up because how did things end in the World Series for these 85 Cardinals? 
with an 11-0 loss on the road. Not a win on the road, a loss on the road. That's the game in which we mentioned Andrew Hart melted down. This one not 11-0, it's 1-0 for now. Runner at first, now the pitch to Konerko. Swing, high fly ball left field, not too deep. Easy pickings for Vince Coleman, he's there. He makes the play, no tarp to avoid. The inning is over. One man left, we're at the end of one. 85 Cardinals one, 05 White Sox nothing. And here's a little word from 2005. Which came first, the chicken or the buffalo? Who cares? At Long John Silver's, the buffalo flavor is inside the chicken. Introducing the new crunchy buffalo chicken planks. Our one-of-a-kind batter-dipped chicken with buffalo flavor on the inside. Spice it up with fiery dipping sauce or cool it down with ranch. Get a combo with three big pieces of crunchy buffalo chicken, fries, hush puppies, and a drink for $3.99. The crunchy chicken you love, buffalo style. Long John Silver's. one nothing, 85 Cardinals here at U.S. Cellular Field, and this is a ballpark that's not exactly loved by everybody, but hey, <laughs> it's got a World Series winning team in it. Can't take that away. Joe Buck called that 2005 World Series and watched the 85 World Series as a 16-year-old kid back in St. Louis. So as long as we've got the 05 White Sox here and the 85 Cardinals here, Let's talk to Joe Buck about being a teenager and watching the 85 Cardinals. You know, 82 was the first year I saw the Cardinals or really any team win a championship, and I was 13. So I, 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 that if I wasn't all in by 82, I certainly was after. And then the 85 team was a good blend of some leftover pieces from winning it all in 82 uh, but some some new fresh faces like Vince Coleman was rookie of the year and stole 110 bases and Jack Clark's at first base not Keith Hernandez but Tommy Hurst still there and Ozzie Smith still there Van Slyke was new uh, compared to '82 Lonnie Smith was still hanging around but it it just it's hard to even describe what that team did compared to baseball in. 2020 you know I, I that you start looking at a, a guy like McGee that had a good average but won the MVP and I think hit 10 home runs or somewhere in that neighborhood so uh, it, it just was a different era in the game and I think no team fit their ballpark better than the 85 Cardinals um, just because it was a monstrous cavernous stadium hard to hit the ball out it was an astroturf field, uh, you know, big power alleys. Center field was a mile away, and they used their speed. They slapped the ball around. They stole bases. They moved runners over. They had John Tudor that was almost automatic on the mound and won 21 games that year. And that was the year that Todd Worrell popped up out of nowhere and was the closer at the end of the season. And then uh, kind of dominant during the postseason and uh, actually had his right foot on first base uh, in game six in Kansas City. But uh, I believe it was George Orta was called safe. And we all know the uh, the result of all that. But that that was that was the quintessential 80s big ballpark AstroTurf Fields speed team that you always hear referenced uh, when we watch the game now. 
Uh, thanks very much to Joe Buck. Good stuff, good memories there. Let's move ahead to further action. This is still a 1-0 game into the bottom of the third. The 05 White Sox trying to come back on the 85 Cardinals. Joe Creedy at the plate. 252 a hitter, 22 home runs, and he leads off the bottom of the third, taking outside ball one. Now, last inning, we were talking about game ones of World Series, and in 05, it was Joe Creedy in game one who broke a 3-3 tie with a home run in the fourth inning. And he made some game-changing plays defensively in the sixth inning, seventh inning. That was a game where in the eighth, Ozzie Guillen stretched both of his arms to his sides to summon the closer Bobby Jenks to face Jeff Bagwell with two outs and a tying man at third. Jenks struck about and pitched a 1-2-3 ninth inning. Huge moment, but everybody remembers the, the Aussie pantomime before they remember the Bagwell at bat. As the pitch comes in a high from Danny Cox, it's 2-0. Joe Creedy made a strong case for World Series MVP. He carried the offense in game one. He sparked the five-run rally in game three and played that lights-out defense, too. Next pitch from Cox, a slider that's low, 3-0. To a guy in Joe Creedy who grew up about 120 miles west of St. Louis, huge Cardinals fan, who would eventually get compared to a young Scott Rowland, a true line drive hitter who had already been a two-time minor league MVP. So big things expected of him. And we mentioned his World Series against Houston. He had the, uh, the grand slam against Chad Qualls on a first pitch fastball. Then crazily, the next year, he had a grand slam in the regular season against Chad Qualls, also on a first pitch fastball. Next delivery, it's taken outside, ball four. So one man on, Juan Uribe coming up, and just like Joe Creedy, a 252 hitter. 16 a homer, 71 runs batted in. Very talkative player, Uribe. Easy to like if he's on your side. Kind of like his manager, Mr. Guillen. Like Ozzie Guillen, smokes a big cigar off the field, runs his mouth, but very entertaining player. Pitches outside, a 1-0. As Ozzie Guillen is walking around, clapping his hands in that dugout, that black satin jacket on. Ozzie very seldom has an unexpressed thought. There is nothing that Mark Cuban has said, nothing Paris Hilton has said, that it has been any more inflammatory than a typical summer around Ozzie Guillen in the mid-2000s. Pitch roars in for a strike here. It's one and one. And, you know, for a while, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf has tried to slough it off as Ozzie being Ozzie. Reinsdorf at one point referring to Guillen as being the Hispanic Jackie Mason. Not always politically correct, but good for a laugh, good for America. Although eventually the owner will make it quite clear he'd like a little less Jackie Mason and a little more quiet. As a pitch is in the dirt and the count two and one. Being vulgar is not a crime, but it isn't necessarily recommended either. Billy Martin wasn't always G-rated, but he was a pretty good baseball manager. Next pitch coming, it's outside, three and one the count, with Joe Creedy leading from first. Tom Seaver tells a great Ozzie Guillen story. First day of spring training of 85. Tom Seaver says this little guy he'd never met runs up to him laughing and says in broken English, I'm going to catch the last out of your 300th win, and then I'm not going to give you the ball. And he runs away cackling. And Seaver turns to a teammate and says, who, who was that? <laughs> and the teammate says, that, that's Ozzie Guillen. That's your shortstop. 
who would be, M, or excuse me, it'd be a Rookie of the Year in 85. Here's the pitch. Swing high, fly ball, center field will not move the runner. Stays right up in the air and an easy play. Willie McGee has got it. So it's one on one out now. Top of the order, Scott Pitsednik. He's one of the things that just kind of bloomed out of nowhere for the White Sox in 05. A lot of little things came together. The White Sox tried so hard to trade for Tony Graffanino, lost out to Boston for him, had to settle for Jeff Blum. Graffanino makes a critical error for Boston against the White Sox in the playoffs. Blum hits a game-winning home run, becomes a World Series hero. And Scott Pudsednik, we mentioned, no home runs in the regular season. Then with his new maple bat, he goes into the playoffs, he becomes Roy Hobbs. And he takes outside here from Danny Cox. It's 1-0. Jerry Reinsdorf is on record saying that his favorite moment of all of 05 was the Pudsednik home run. And I'm quoting now, he said, that's after I was MFing him for not throwing a guy out at the plate in the top of the ninth. <laughs> Pitch coming. It's chopped foul up near first. It's one and one. And Joe Creedy back to first. Creedy says he was in the tunnel when Pitsednik hit that home run. Said Carl Everett was in that tunnel with me. Ball goes out. We both looked at it on the screen, and we both started running out of the dugout. And if you look in the background of everybody celebrating, you'll see Joe Creedy jumping over the railing and doing a face plant. That home run in the cold and rain on a night where the ball really wasn't carrying. Pudsednik barely saw the ball get out. He was about to round first base. He saw the first base coach, Tim Raines, just throw his arms up in the air. And he knew he had just done something memorable. Creedy, a safe lead from first. Now the pitch. Swing a little bloop down the right field line. Dropping, dropping. It is fair. And on to third base is Crady. The throw from Jermaine Die not in time. Pudsednik standing at second with a double. A little bloop double just inside the line. And now it's second and third, just one out. A great chance for Aguchi. If Creedy had had a better lead, he might have been able to think about coming around to score. But Joey Cora, the third base coach, held him up. But Sednik, no problem. That'll be scored a double for him getting into second. And here is Tadahito Aguchi. Go back to spring training, the start of 05. Local Chicago columnist Jay Mariotti in the Sun-Times described what the White Sox had built as a slap and tickle team. He said they play 81 games in the most power-friendly ballpark in the league, and Ken Williams has traded mashers for midgets. Well, point of order, 2004, they had hit a major league high 242 home runs, and still they barely finished 500. So the argument could have been made. It was time to approach things a little differently, more pitching, more defense, but that didn't stop Jay Mariotti. He said these guys were running a Kansas City operation in the nation's number three market. Mariotti said it's a Viagra lineup going limp with Carlos Lee and Mags Ordonez gone. Well, the White Sox were described all year by the locals as a pop gun offense, but it turns out if you fire a pop gun often enough, it can still do some damage. I mean, it took the White Sox until their 63rd game of 05 to have even a five-run inning. But they had put together so many one- and two-run innings, they were already 20 games over 500 by then. Second and third, only one out. And the pitch to Aguchi. 
That's Ram towards left center. That's a base hit. Willie McGee is over to scoop it up. One run already in. Pretzendik's on his way. He has scored. It's 2-1 Chicago. They have slapped and tickled their way to the lead here in the bottom of the third. And this is pretty much how they get it done. It's a walk. It's a bloop double. And then a single. A hard shot in a left center. No play for Willie McGee. And now here is Carl Everett. 2-1 to one, Chicago. And a happy Ozzie Guillen bouncing around in that dugout. But well, we talked about Ozzy being a little controversial. Ladies and gentlemen, let's chat about Carl Everett, who takes outside for ball one. Carl says he lives in Carl's world. If you don't like what I have to say, don't listen, he says. And, and what does he say? He says, I believe there were no dinosaurs. I've never seen one. So how do you know those bones are millions of years old? I don't believe there's been a man on the moon. I've never seen a moon rock, says Carl Everett who now takes low, it's 2-0. He's batting left-handed against Cox in a very funky stance, wide open, hands dropped down low. Hall of Famer and Mets broadcaster Ralph Kiner once said, this is Archie Vaughn's stance, the old Cardinal. And speaking of the Mets, Carl Everett played his high school ball at Hillsborough High School in Tampa, same school that churned out Doc Gooden and Gary Sheffield for that matter. Pitch from Cox is high here. It's 3-0. Carl Everett has a pair of very strong wrists. Helps him turn on the ball. Everett saying he developed strong wrists at Hillsborough High School. He was on the rifle drill team there. He says twirling that 14-pound rifle in those fancy drills, that, uh, that's not easy. Next delivery coming. That's outside ball four. So maybe Cox pitching around Everett to get to the righty Conurco. Two on for Paul Conurco. And early in his career, we got to mention Paul Conurco was passed around like a hot potato. Went from the Dodgers to the Reds and then to the White Sox. The first two teams liked him, but just not enough to keep him. And both the Dodgers and Reds' worst nightmare has come true. Conurco has finally blossomed somewhere else, and that somewhere else has been Chicago. Cox with a check of both runners. White Sox have gone ahead 2-1. to one. And the pitch, that's poured in for a strike right at the belts, nothing in one. Conurco must have been looking for something else there. And for a guy who plays in the nation's third biggest market, there may not be a more underappreciated slugger in baseball than Paul Conurco. Even in 05, the White Sox were trying to trade for Ken Griffey Jr. at the All-Star break. They couldn't get him, so it was kind of like a shrug of the shoulders. Well, we'll have to ride with Conurco as a team's big RBI guy. And he just produced one big RBI after another. Taking here in its low, it's one and one. Double play candidate here is Conurco, no doubt. But, yeah, we mentioned 100 RBI season. They'll have 113 next year. October of 05, 15 postseason runs batted in. He had the Grand Slam in the World Series and the birth of his son, Nicholas, that same week. Pretty good week. Runners away from first and second. Danny Cox setting. Now winds and fires. Swing and a ground ball towards second base. Tommy Hurz got it on to Ozzie for one. Turned over to first and easy double play. Boy, he got him by four steps. Tommy Hur turns it well. Of course, Ozzie Smith is a ballet dancer across the bag. Two runs in. 
It stays 2-1 to one all the way until the bottom of the seventh when the White Sox would add to their lead. Danny Cox actually still on the mound would eventually get relieved by Bill Campbell when he struggled in the seventh inning. Jermaine Dye led off with a strikeout. A.J. Pruszynski hit by a pitch, wasn't happy about it. Joe Creedy then doubled, and Juan Uribe followed with a triple to the base of the wall in center field, the ball bouncing away. So after the uh, Creedy double, the Uribe triple, that knocked in two runs, and that made it a 4-1 ball game, and that made it a little easier for Mark Burley, who really never struggled. I mean, you talk about eight and a third innings for him. He gave up six hits, just the one run, only one walk. He struck out five. The home run to Cedeno, the only thing that went wrong for him. Dustin Hermanson coming on. He needed to get a couple of outs in the ninth inning. Ozzie going with Hermanson instead of Jenks. But uh, your final score ends up being 4-1. to one. The number three seed, the 05 White Sox, get it done with four runs on seven hits, one error. And the 85 Cardinals eliminated one run, six hits, and no errors. Tough game for Andy Van Slyke, who left five men on. The only player with two hits in the game for the Cardinals checking the box score was Cedeno, who later had a single after that home run. For the White Sox, well, you, you heard all the scoring, basically. Carl Everett was probably the, the man that we look at in terms of who was on base the most. He had two hits and a one. But congratulations. You hear the na-na-hey-hey hey now from Nancy Faust. The White Sox will eventually get the winner of next week's game which is the 80 Phillies taking on a seven seed, or excuse me, taking on a two seed. The 80 Phillies are the seven seed. They're going to be at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees are the two seed, the 77 New York Yankees featuring Reggie Jackson. So that's our game next week. But this week, well, the 05 White Sox have not not hey hey the 85 Cardinals into oblivion. Again, the final, 4-1. to one. If you haven't found it yet, the website to go check out to look at these box scores, make sure you're navigating through the brackets. It's very simple. It's thethrowbackleague.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, of course. We're at thethrowbacklg. Hope you're enjoying it. If you are, please leave us a positive review. Everybody seems to enjoy that. Tell a friend about it. If you know a baseball fan that is a little lonely for baseball or has a long drive or you know whatever reason you have for listening to a podcast, this is one we, we hope you'll keep on downloading. Subscribe to it if you haven't yet. New ones drop every Monday all the way until... New Year's of 2021, a year we cannot wait to get to. Congratulations to the 05 White Sox. This is Josh Lewin. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.